This is E2. Welcome back to the show. We speak with all kinds of entrepreneurs and creators doing incredible things in business and beyond. Today, we're in conversation with Kim Kaup at Kim Kaup on social. She is the co-founder and CEO of the Superfan Company, a fan engagement agency focused on creating one-of-a-kind products and programs for entertainers, brands, and celebrities. Since starting the company, her team has collaborated with Oprah, Amazon, Amex, New York Mets, Kiss, Shawn Mendes, Justin Bieber, Paul McCartney, Katy Perry, and the list goes on. She was also named to Forbes' 30 Under 30, Advertising Age's 40 Under 40, and Inc.'s 35 Under 35 list. She was also featured on ABC's hit primetime show, The Shark Tank, which you know well. And in this episode, of course, we discuss that experience along with other topics, including why your reputation in business is so critical, how Kim began working with Justin Bieber, Mary J. Blige, and American Idol winner, Scotty McCreary, courses she's developed and taught on LinkedIn Learning, secrets to building a strong personal brand, the importance of recording and analyzing yourself, and way more. So with that intro out of the way, let's get to the show. You've got a background in publishing, and you spent a couple of years at Condé Nast in merchandising and promotions. But you've also said that you fell into entrepreneurship by accident. So what actually planted the seed for Superfan? I went through school dreaming of a corporate job. I was really excited to work in corporate. I was excited to dive into a career in corporate. And entrepreneurship was really something that found me. I met my co-founder, my former co-founder, and within 90 days of meeting her, started the company. Statistically, this will fail, but I'll have like a really funny story to tell at cocktail parties. And, you know, it'll it'll all give us a good laugh. Like I had done all of this planning for what would happen when it didn't work. And funny enough, I, abs- I did absolutely no planning if it did work. When you started, was it started as a side hustle? It was definitely started as a side hustle. And I'm, I always tell people, depending on who you listen to or who you talk to, you're always going to get two sides of the story, right? Some people say, quit your corporate job, dive all in. That's not the camp that I'm in. I'm in the camp of, listen, you have a corporate job for a reason. It's great that you have health benefits. It's great that you have a steady income. This is a really wonderful time to start that hustle test your audience, test your customers. What do they actually want? Where's the price point that you need to be at? But do all of this from the comfort of, I know how I'm going to pay rent this month Mm -hmm. and I know how I'm going to eat food this month. I think when you start to make decisions of what am I going to do and how is this going to work when you also have the added pressure of how I'm going to eat, That is a very hard situation. But I always say, you know, if you're independently wealthy or like you have money and you can just say, you know, the hell with it, I'm going to quit my job and I'll be footloose and fancy free, more power to you. But for most people, uh, quitting a job and having absolutely no income is a hard thing to swallow. Back in this first year of operations. So the statistics are obviously working against you. You have this 
opposite experience where in the first year of operations, you hit what a million dollars in revenue in something like under 12 months. That was again, pretty wild. And it was definitely something where again, because we, we were not prepared for the success. I would say after that first year, we actually had to stop. We, we pretty much stopped taking on clients and stop kind of halted everything that we did for about two months, maybe even three months because we hadn't built the systems. Mm. We hadn't built, again, we, we weren't anticipating growth, so we had not built for growth. And this is all self-financed. You're bootstrapping at this point? Yes, that's correct. We, have, we had an interesting model though. So we were different from most companies in that most companies require a lot of upfront capital. We were a little bit unique in that we were running more like a traditional ad agency. So we knew, and we still know to this day, before we take on a project, we have an almost exact account of exactly how much money we're going to make before we even start working on the project. So we didn't require a ton of upfront capital because of that business model. Okay. So let's talk more about Superfan. So we'll get into some of the celebrity engagements that you've done, but first let's start with brands. So what is a company like American Express, Unilever, and Amazon, who I think are all clients of yours, what are they coming to you to solve? Sure. So the way we think about it is really fan engagement. And how are you engaging with your fans or your customers or your clientele? There are many names for it. Uh, guests, you know, however you, whatever adjective you want to use, it's the people that give you money for something that you give to them, whatever that is. So how, how are you engaging with these people? And what we were seeing is that most traditional advertising agencies, most traditional marketing agencies are always focused on more, more likes, more customers, more, you know, just everything is more. And our philosophy and our question really at the core of it is, is more better. And for us, we don't believe that more is necessarily better because you have these highly, highly engaged customers or clients, or some might call them super fans, who compared to others are spending exorbitantly more on your product or service. And everyone is a super fan or super user of something, whether that is someone in your life who always drinks Starbucks coffee and loves Starbucks coffee, or they put all of their charges on their American Express card because they only want Amex points. So we really focus on with those people that are highly engaged and our super users and our super fans, how can we make them lean in a little more? How can we continue to surprise and delight them? How can we continue to push the envelope and help them share their love a little bit easier or in a more fun way? With most of these agencies, obviously, um, to your point about more is better, constantly focused on customer acquisition. This is much more of a customer retention play. Exactly. And that's really, I think, what a lot of big Fortune 500 companies and sports teams and artists really should spend their time focusing on. Mm -hmm. Have things changed since COVID? Has this value proposition to brands or celebrities been modified in any way? I would say before the pandemic, consulting work maybe made up 10% of our business because 
for the most part, yes, people wanted some new ideas. Yes, people, of course, needed help thinking through things. But now with COVID, everything's been turned upside down. And I would say now, instead of 10%, it's, you know, 80%. We have people calling us all the time saying, you know, I need help thinking about this and how I, I joke, it's like somebody took dynamite, like those old uh, cartoons and blew up the train tracks. And now people are going, well, how do I lay new train tracks? And where should the train tracks go? And how am I doing this? And so that I think for us, we've seen a big change into more of the consulting space to help our clients really think through what is 2021 going to look like and what does a strategy look like? Is music one of the biggest niches um, in this regard? Like this is an industry where, you know, no concerts, no major events, no festivals. Are a lot of these artists and or their teams coming to you for advice? I would say, interestingly enough, I think COVID has rocked everybody's world. We've had former NFL athletes come to us. We've had uh, large music festivals. So it's really kind of, I want to say, shaken up everybody. COVID is really something that was an equal opportunity disruptor. So it doesn't matter what industry you're in or what you're focused on. It's really flipped things on its head and forced everyone to think about things in a new way. So Katy Perry, Kiss, Dolly Parton, Justin Bieber, Sir Paul McCartney, you've done work for all of these artists, right? It's an incredible list. Thank you. <laughs> what? Okay. So two-part question. One, what prospecting strategies do you use to get to these celebs? And also, how do you get into a situation where you can pitch superfans value prop to their team or to them? I would say the bed, it's sort of an answer to both questions, but it's something that I really try to stress to not only new entrepreneurs, but seasons entrepreneurs and just people in business that it's, it's twofold. Your reputation is everything in business. It is your bread and butter. It is what people will talk about, whether you are a 25 year old, a 55 year old, or if you're a 75 year old your reputation sticks with you for years. Now in the days of the internet and sites like LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram, your reputation will precede you. Your reputation will follow you. I have people who say, well, you know, I might've had a bad reputation in the entertainment industry, but now I'm going to go be a yoga instructor or, you know, I'm going to completely change industries. And I always say your reputation will follow you. It, it's impossible for it not to now in the digital age. So reputation is everything. And second of all, your clients or your customers or your guests, they are going to become your best sales tool. They are going to be better than any Facebook ad. They are going to, going to be better than any magazine advertisement or digital ad that you want to run having other people advocate for you is the best. So it's really something that I talk about a lot because I would say the reason we got a lot of these clients who we did, I would love to take credit. I would love to say that it was some awesome presentation I did, or it was some amazing idea pitch that I put together, but it wasn't, it really wasn't. A lot of times it was other past clients telling their friends or telling people that they work with, Hey, you got to call Kim. So I'll never forget. Um, this was a couple years ago, but I had a, 
call through my cell phone and it was a number I didn't recognize. And it was the manager of Mary J. Blige hmm. and they had gotten my information from Justin Bieber's team. And, and that's the type of stuff where you just can't replicate that, you know, that there is no golden pitch that you can do other than somebody from Justin Bieber's team going out to lunch with somebody from Mary J. Blige's team and saying, you got to call this team. They're amazing. They, we had the best time working with them. They did really great stuff. I, I want to come back to the celeb thing just for one sec. So Mary J. Blige, so their team got word of you guys through Justin Bieber's team. Who was the first big celeb account that started this domino effect? Our first real big, this was back in 2011. So you have to always date things. This was back when American Idol was really kind of in its heyday. Mm. We got Scotty McCreary, who had just won American Idol. And that was our first really big, at the time, artist that was sort of the cascade of, okay, if we can get one and we can make a case study out of it, then maybe we can get two or three or four. So I would say he was really the first domino. We, we owe a lot to him. What was the timing around ABC's Shark Tank appearance? That was an interesting, an interesting extravaganza. It was great to be on the show. I have a lot of love for Mark Burnett and the team that put the show together. It was really something that we did as a way to see what other potentials were out there. Up until that point, we had never raised money. Again, because of the business model I explained earlier, we didn't necessarily need money. Mm -hmm. And so Shark Tank was really an opportunity to say, if we were to take on money, you know, what would that look like? What strategic partners could we look for? And it was really an opportunity for us because the show had approached us. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say I had never heard of Shark Tank. I did not watch the show. I wasn't aware of its popularity. So I uh, quickly was educated. Um, so when they asked to be on the show, we we ultimately accepted and decided to make a go of it, which we did in season five. Yeah. And you secured four out of five offers or there were four out of five offers made. Exactly. Did the deal end up going through in the end? It did not. Uh, so love, uh, Robert and Lori were the sharks that we did a deal with on the show. They're super great. Again, their team is amazing and we love them. We just sort of figured out that maybe it's better for us to just date or, or be friends than necessarily get married. Okay, so I want to shift gears to LinkedIn, um, which you are a big advocate for. You have now a new course called Entrepreneurship Foundations, if I've got that right, uh, as part of LinkedIn Learning. Is this for anyone thinking about starting a business or is there a more specific target audience for this course? No, it's really sort of a 101 of people who are thinking about entrepreneurship, maybe people that have started a side hustle. So it was really a way for me to say, okay, if I was doing this all again, what would I do differently? How would I avoid those pitfalls? How would I avoid those potholes? And packaging that up in a way that is easy and fun and digestible and that someone can absorb for an hour and say, okay, great. I learned a lot and I learned a lot of things to do, a lot of things not to do. And I feel much more set up for if, when, or if I'm already on my entrepreneurial road. Yeah. And you cover some very important objectives in the course. So let's hit on just a few of these. Timing is a big one, right? People are constantly thinking to themselves, is this the right time to start a business? Is it the wrong time? 
What is the test that you recommend people use who are wrestling with this question? I would say, you know, really, I think the why of starting a business, you can read Simon Sinek's Start With Why, you know, it, it's a double-edged sword. I think sometimes in the past couple of years, entrepreneurship, because of shows like Shark Tank, because of movies like The Social Network or the rise and fame of people like Mark Cuban or Sarah Blakely, entrepreneurship has become really sexy. Entrepreneurship is really hard and it can sometimes be very lonely and it can, you know, have nights where you're sobbing alone in your room. And so there has to be a really good reason that you want to create that product or offer that service or do that thing. Because if that's not strong enough, you will not survive. It just, it, it won't work. So I think that that's a really great place to start is why are you doing this? What, what objectives are you going to face from yourself or from your outside world and starting to tackle those early on? Where do you sit on the spectrum of financing a business? So you mentioned, you know, the question of is more better, um, obviously, as it relates to Superfan. Um, but I want to ask this question in the context of is more better in in terms of venture capital. You bootstrapped for your first year or, or two or three. I'm not sure. You went on Shark Tank. There was a few offers made, but they didn't ultimately go through. So have you always bootstrapped a business? Like, is this what you would advocate for or suggest that other entrepreneurs do? I would, yes. So I've always bootstrapped a business and obviously there's pros and cons to everything, right? But I think it's really recognizing what type of business you're trying to start and how businesses in that sector typically grow. So for instance, if you look at most technology companies, you know, Slack's going public this month or Uber or whatever, most of those big technology companies grow very quickly and do so with a lot of funding. That's just how it works. You know, it's they need more technology, more bandwidth, more programmers, more developers. It's just yep. so if you're going to get into that space, sure, you could bootstrap. But chances are, you know, most likely you will need to raise funding. However, if you look at product based businesses, those are a little different. You can arguably look at Sarah Blakely from Spanx, who never took on, you know, big traditional funding when she first started, still owns the majority of the business and grew it successfully selling, you know, one pair of Spanx at a time to Macy's and Bloomingdale's and Nordstrom's. So again, but there are lots of product businesses that have grown over the years with that method. It's really about what type of business are you starting and what historically has made sense in that space. Um, another topic that you hit on is how to raise awareness or exploring different ways to raise awareness for your personal brand. So, I mean, you've done this unbelievably well. You published a post or a newsletter about the five biggest LinkedIn secrets no one is telling you about. I got this from you the other day. Let's hit on a few of these. So the first one, is somewhat obvious, right? Connections. Connections are important. What are some of these other ones that you feel are, are key that some people miss? I think what a lot of people miss is, again, just keeping things up to date. I think one of them that's such a no-brainer is your profile picture. I always tell people that I should be able to find you in a crowded room by looking at your profile picture. 
I say, if you're going into a Starbucks to meet somebody, you should be able to look at their profile picture, look around the Starbucks and pick them out. The about section, you talk about that being a huge opportunity. What are people screwing up here in the about section? Absolutely. So most people don't realize that the LinkedIn search tool, the search bar at the top of LinkedIn is just like Google. You can type in things like HR management music industry and LinkedIn will crawl all the millions of LinkedIn profiles and bring you back results that have those keywords in them. And most people don't realize that about LinkedIn. So if there are keywords or if there are things that you do or industries that you want to get into, I always tell people, even if you work in finance, but your dream is to become a yoga instructor, mm -hmm. type the word yoga, you know, in some way that makes sense, obviously, into your LinkedIn profile so that as people are looking at, you know, personal yoga instructors, instructor or whatever, you will come up in the results. So I, I don't think a lot of people realize that about LinkedIn. What about public speaking? So you're obviously an advocate of public speaking. You feel like it's important. You do a lot of it. Is there a different strategy that people should be using? Unfortunately, with so many people out of work due to COVID, it really helps because everyone's selling themselves. They're selling themselves for a date, they're selling themselves for a job. They're selling their idea to the rest of the marketing team. They are selling an idea to their customers. You know, we're all selling ourselves as humans. When you're presenting yourself, it's something that you can constantly be working on. And one trick that I think everybody can use in this downtime is to record yourself. And I know it's painful. There's a reason why when you watch these ESPN specials, they show Tom Brady there with his pad and paper re-watching the game. What did he do wrong? Where did he throw that interception? What was wrong with his footing? You kind of have to be the Tom Brady of yourself. And now actually I think it's easier than ever if the next time you present something via Zoom or that you're doing something at work, set up your phone in a corner and record yourself and you know sit there like Tom Brady afterwards. Did I stutter? Did I say the word um too much? Did I seem assertive or approachable? Whatever it is, really analyze yourself. And I don't think we do enough of that. What are the tools you use for your social posts? Are there little hacks to make these videos more engaging? I would say I recently got a webcam after much hemming and hawing. I was kind of like, you know, do these really work? I don't know. And I'm totally converted. I got a Logitech Brio. It's freaking amazing. I wish I had gotten one sooner. It's awesome. I definitely recommend that everybody get one. I definitely have a ring light. Those are always helpful if you're somewhere that's a little bit dark. I also really try to put captions in a lot of the content that I'm putting out that's video related because again, video is huge, but a lot of people listen to it on silent. And I use a platform called Quick, Q-U-I-C-C, -C, Quick Management for that. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of little tips and tools, but I would say those are three of the biggest. I saw this talk that you did about you know this link between what you loved doing as a kid, connecting that to your purpose in business or life. Um, so explain the essence of this connection and how someone can go through this exercise. I will first, I would say, you know, not every 
passion has to be profitable. Sometimes your passion is just your passion. You know, you don't have to make a profit on it. It doesn't have to turn into a business. Just let it be something that you love to do. However, if it is something that you think, well, I, you know, I really love to do this. And I think I really could make a go of making money off of whatever this is. I would say to ask yourself the question of, would I do this for free? I love it so much that I would do this for no money and it would not frustrate me. If you're interested in entrepreneurship or you're interested in a side hustle, really kind of sit with yourself, whether you want to meditate or go walk on the beach or sit in a lawn. I don't know what, whatever it takes for you to kind of get quiet with your own thoughts and a piece of paper and a pen and really kind of dive into what, what is something I would do for free? What is something that I could do endlessly and, and never get bored or annoyed? And if you think that that's something that you can profit off of, really, again, taking the steps before you actually do anything to educate yourself. What's next for you? What's next for Superfan? It's interesting. I, you know, I think what'll, what'll really be next for me is continuing to explore and develop. I've found sort of, again, by accident, I seem to do a lot of things by accident. I'm going to start taking credit for some of these things eventually, but, um, you know, the, the LinkedIn courses have been phenomenal. The individuals that I've been able to help and meet with and kind of dive into more has been really rewarding in a way that I wasn't expecting. Definitely looking to do more courses, definitely looking to seeing how I can further help people present them their best self and show up to the world in a way that's going to help them shine even brighter. Where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about you or about Superfan? I am on Instagram probably entirely too much. So that is a great place to reach me. If not Instagram, LinkedIn is a great one. You can head to my website, kimkalp.com. But I'm on a lot of the social platforms. I would say I don't look at Twitter probably as much as I should, but I'm on there. I'm on all of the social media networks. It's just my name, Kim Kalp. I joke that if you're searching, uh, if you start to type in K-I-M and then K-A, I am usually the first Kim under Kim Kardashian. So <laughs> if you see Kim Kardashian uh, and then you see the Kim K with her clothes on, that is likely me. So <laughs> right under Kim Kardashian, Kim K with her clothes on. Oh, huge praise, or, or maybe not. I'm not <laughs> sure, depending on where you sit on the Kim Kardashian spectrum. Um, Kim, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. That's it, guys, for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Want to build recurring revenue for your business? Visit Scriberbase.com for more info. If you enjoy the show, download, share, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us at glow.fm slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. 
Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast.